Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Sunday, March 5th slate of college basketball DFS. Yes, I said Sunday. We are here recording this late Saturday night um, because I'll be honest, y'all, there's not a whole lot of content for college basketball DFS on Sundays. And so, um, you know, trying to take advantage of an opportunity and see if, you know, maybe this gets a little bit of traction. And um, obviously, if you're here, you're giving it a shot, and I appreciate it. And hopefully, I can give you guys some good information that can help you guys win your DFS contest for college basketball on Sunday. We've got ourselves an eight-game slate on DraftKings and a five-game slate on FanDuel. I'll be honest, normally these Sunday slates are not my favorite because of how staggered the start times are. But looking at this one, there's not a whole lot of injuries. There's not a whole lot really to late swap, especially when you look at the order the games are played in. So this is a pretty good Sunday slate, if I'm being honest. And it is our last regular Sunday of the regular season in college basketball. So um, here's to making money on a Sunday, right? So let's go ahead and let's end, in, end the intro right there. Um, let's go ahead and get started. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. So let's start off by talking about the games that we might want to target on this Sunday slate. There are actually four games on the DraftKings slate that are over 140 for their total, which is pretty solid, four out of eight. Um, now, the one that has the highest total, and this one is on both the DraftKings and the FanDuel slate, is Nebraska at Iowa. The total is set by Las Vegas at 153.5. Ken Palm has this game as Iowa 82 to 72 right in track with the game total. Now, what's interesting is Nebraska actually won the previous meeting 66 to 56, but Nebraska was a much different team then than they are now. They had um, Brandon Mel, they had Jawan Gary as well. They played at a much slower tempo. Keze Tomonaga was, you know, not the factor that he is now. So I don't really put too much stock into that other than some individual matchups that definitely went in favor of one team or the other. Now, the other game that is worth targeting is Temple at Tulane. That one is not on the FanDuel slate, but the total in this one is 151.5. Ken Palm has that game as Tulane 79-74. to Tulane is third in the nation in tempo, according to Ken Palm. They play super fast under head coach Ron Hunter, um, and so definitely a tempo up spot for Temple, and definitely a game that is going to feature a lot of points scored. Now, the other two games that are over 140 are Houston at Memphis and Michigan at Indiana. So those two are worth a look also. Um, so that does it for the games. Let's go ahead and start breaking down the guard spot. So the highest priced guard on the board is J1 Pickett of Penn State. And I'm going to be real honest, y'all. Everything mathematically points to this not being a good spot for J1 Pickett. So first off, he only had 29.3 fantasy points against Maryland in the first matchup. Now, there could be a myriad of reasons why somebody doesn't hit their average, right? Maybe it was foul trouble. Well, this one wasn't. He played 39 minutes. Maybe it was just a cold shooting night. This one wasn't. He was 7 for 11. You know, maybe he just didn't get to um, his normal usage rate. He did. Now, the downside is he only had three rebounds and five assists, and, you know, that kind of brought down his total against Maryland because Pickett is a guy that is a legit triple-double threat every time he touches the floor. Now, what also concerns me about Pickett is the recent trends in usage. His usage is actually down. It's been only 20% in back-to-back -back games in his last two, and he's averaging 29% on the season. So, like I said, everything mathematically points to this just not being a great spot for Jalen Pickett Sunday against Maryland, but like I've said about DFS for, you know, in a lot of different sports now honestly is you know sometimes when something is mathematically a bad play it becomes a good play in DFS because nobody is going to play Jalen Pickett so if Jalen Pickett does happen to go off which I don't think is likely you're going to end up with a really low owned high leverage play but um, again everything mathematically not pointing to this being a good one but he does make for a very good low owned GPP play 
Next up on the board is Jalen Cook of Tulane, who has hit four times value in three of his last six games, even at his inflated salary. Two of those three games were 55 fancy point performances, so he gives you that huge ceiling. And largely, that ceiling comes as a part of Tulane's tempo, right? They play so fast that there's so many possessions that with a guy with a usage rate as high as Jalen Cook's, he's going to get plenty of opportunities to score fancy points. Now, the one thing going against him is that he only scored 17.8 fancy points against Temple last time, and the usage wasn't like super inconsistent with his season output. He averages a 30% usage rate on the season, and he only had a 26% usage rate against Temple. That's not terrible. Like That shouldn't reduce his fantasy point total by about half. So I don't know. I, I'm tend to just kind of write that one off as just, you know, kind of maybe an unlucky game, just, you know, um, an aberration, if you will, just not something that's going to continue to happen statistically. Now, Cook's teammate Jalen Forbes in that game had 35 fantasy points against Temple when those two teams played the first time. He's also hit four times value in three straight games. He has a 23% usage on the season. Um, and when you look at their game logs, when you look at their usage rates, Cook does have a higher ceiling than Forbes, but Forbes still gives you that high floor. Temple plays, or Tulane, excuse me, plays at such a high tempo, they get so many possessions that you're going to get a good floor outcome out of both Cook and Forbes. Um, and so I kind of do like them both, and I really do think they're actually stackable together, but you're really going to box yourself out of a lot of other plays if you want to play both of them together. Now, Memphis's Kendrick Davis did not play against Houston the first time those two teams met. And Kendrick Davis, you know, he was injured that game. He's come back, and he's coming off of a huge 50 fantasy point performance in his last outing against SMU, which is what we like to see, right? Now, it's hard to get excited about anybody playing against Houston, though. They're so good defensively. They've just locked down the entire AAC. Um, and so... You know, maybe we can try to project what Kendrick Davis might do, you know, in this game. So we can see that Memphis scored 64 points against Houston without Kendrick Davis in the lineup, right? Now, Ken Palm has Memphis projected for exactly 70 points against Houston. Okay, that seems fairly reasonable. They haven't given up 70 to a lot of teams, but hey, Memphis is a good offensive team. They've played a fast tempo. Maybe it could happen, right? So let's look at Memphis's three games that are in the 60s, where, where Memphis was in the 60s for points for Kendrick Davis, right? Kendrick Davis in those three games had 12.8, 35.5, and 29 fantasy points. Yeah, that's not exactly what we're looking for. So I actually think that Kendrick Davis really, to me, is just intriguing as a game stack. If you're making a GPP lineup and you're trying to just make this game go berserk, that would be the situation to use for Kendrick Davis. But if there's just a normal game flow, I just don't really like the upside of Kendrick Davis going against that Houston defense. Now, on the other side of that game with the Houston squad, the first game against Memphis was real interesting because none of Sasser, Shed, or Mark hit even three times value for Houston. And really, it doesn't come as too big of a surprise because the perimeter is just not where you attack Memphis. You attack Memphis on the interior. And so the bigs had a big night against Memphis. And so, like I said, same thing about Davis. I'm only interested with these guys in terms of you know, a game stack. Like I think as one-offs, they're just not great matchup plays and the game flow would have to be significantly different from how it was the first time these two teams played for any of them to hit value. So if you're playing them, I'd almost play them together when it comes to those high-priced guards from the Houston and the Memphis game. Now, speaking of high-priced guards on the same team, we got Matthew Mayer and Terrence Shannon of Illinois, and they're going to continue to see incredibly high usage without Jaden Epps in the lineup. Against Michigan, um, both had over a 28% usage rate with no Epps in the lineup. Now, the matchup against Purdue is tough, but, you know, Purdue's 
not looked as great defensively lately as they have. Um, Mayer specifically is a jump shooter. He's not going to be challenging Zach Eady at the rim. So I could definitely see a path to these two guys both getting a lot of fancy points on this slate. Now, looking down at the 7K range, Temple's Damian Dunn is an intriguing play to me. Um, so, Khalif Battle has left the Temple program pretty much just randomly. Uh, and Damian Dunn has over 25.5 fantasy points in the three games since that has occurred. Now, his usage was cut into a little bit in their last game against UCF because of the return of Jaleel White. But, even if the usage is cut into... The, t the tempo that Tulane plays at, holy cow, that was a tongue twister. The tempo that Tulane plays at should allow Damian Dunn to hit his ceiling because he's going to get more possessions, even if that usage is cut into by just a few percent. Now, in the 7K range, we also have to talk about Tony Perkins of Iowa. His last two games have been utterly outstanding, 49 and 50.8 fantasy points, and he's only taken 12 shots in both of those two games which is insane that he's seen that much fantasy production with that little shots, right? Now, looking for a trend for those two games, about the only thing that stands out is Iowa scored over 90 points in both those games, right? So these were just huge offensive outcomes for Iowa. In this game against Nebraska, Iowa's projected for 82 points, according to Ken Palm, which is... Pretty solid, right? But it's not 90 like it has been in each of the last two. But when you look at Perkins' game log, He's pretty good when Iowa gets to 80. So excluding the last two games where he got to 90, here's Iowa's last four games in the 80s, and here were Tony Perkins' fantasy point totals. 33.5, 42.3, 20.5, 36. I'll do the math for you. That's averaging 33 fantasy points per game, and out of a guy priced at 7,100 on DraftKings, I would absolutely be okay with 33 fantasy points yet again. Now, heading down to the 6K range, Northwestern's Chase Audige is actually at his cheapest price of the season, and I actually see a legitimate path for him being successful in this game. Rutgers has a lockdown defender in Caleb McConnell, and I believe that they're going to stick him on Boo Booey, leaving kind of the secondary defenders to Audige and allowing Audige to see a little bit more usage and a little more shots. And that kind of checks out with what happened in the first matchup. I didn't get to watch this game because it's Rutgers-Northwestern, but he had 30.8 fantasy points against Rutgers in that first matchup. So, you know, definitely things are looking up for all these, even though that price tag is as low as it's been all season. Speaking of low price tags, Jet Howard is actually at his lowest price tag since Memphis has started conference play. It's a good matchup against Indiana in terms of tempo and in terms of, you know, their defense. But he only had 20 fantasy points the first time those two teams played. So I'm not super excited, but it's definitely a good buy low or kind of beat early to opportunity on Jet Howard. Now, heading down to the 5K range, we got to talk about Keze Tomonaga, a.k.a. the Japanese Curry. Um, he has just been outstanding in this recent run for Nebraska. He's had at least 22 fantasy points in six straight games. And if we're looking at this game compared to those six, this game will probably be played at the fastest tempo of all six of those games. And I was actually the second worst defensive team, uh, according to Ken Palm, of those six games. So... I definitely see a path to Keze Tominaga lighting Iowa up, and if you're game stacking this game, he's a guy that's got to be a part of it because if this game scores a lot of points, it's probably going to be because he catches fire from deep. If you have not watched Keze Tominaga play, I actually highly recommend it. Um, I'm not saying he's like a player of the year candidate or nothing, but he's just a guy that he plays with a lot of joy, a lot of emotion, and he's really fun to watch. And they kind of do use him a little bit like Steph Curry running him off screens and stuff like that. So just it's fun to watch, and he is fun to watch. He's a fun guy to root for when he's in your DraftKings or FanDuel lineups. 
Now, last guy in the five carries that I do like is Cameron Winter of Penn State. Um, he's had over four straight, or he's had exactly four straight games of over 27 fantasy points. And he's kind of the reason why I was mentioning or Jalen Pickett's usage rate has been cut into because it's all going to Cameron Winter. He's had at least a 19% usage rate in all four of those games, which is well above his season average. So I kind of think that this is here to stay, y'all. Like, you know, maybe if it happens once or twice, maybe it was just a blip on the radar. Maybe it was just you got lucky. But four times in a row, a good usage rate, a good performance. I'm willing to go back to Cameron Winter in this matchup against Maryland. Now, heading down to the 4K range, Ty Rogers and RJ Melendez for Illinois both filled in admirably for the injured J1 Epps against Michigan. Both hit four times value for their salaries. I have no problem going back to either of them. Rogers gets dual eligibility, which is important because I don't think there's a whole lot of value forwards on this slate. Memphis's Demaria Franklin had 21 fantasy points against Houston in their first matchup, albeit that was without Kendrick Davis in the lineup. So, um, you know, Franklin's been pretty good lately, but I just don't really see a path to that happening again with Kendrick Davis in the lineup. You know what I mean? Now, also in the 4K range, there's Jamarcus Lawrence of Nebraska, who has some monster games on his game lock. He's hit five times value three times in his last seven, uh, and it's a great game environment against Iowa if you're game stacking. He's a guy that's got to be a part of it. And then lastly, a guy that is on my radar is RJ McGee of Tulane. Um, he's an interesting game stacking candidate, but he kind of has these pop performances just randomly. Uh, and so if you're playing a GPP, he's a guy that is definitely worth a look to get into your GPP lineup. I don't think he's going to be very highly owned. All right, that does it for the guard position. Um, so let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas because we got a lot of them. All right, looking at the forward position, I got to be honest, y'all, this is probably the most top-heavy forward slate I have seen in recent memory on DraftKings. There is a lot of guys at the top that I really want to play, and I know I'm not going to be able to play all of them unless I just make a lot of lineups. Um, and then there's not a whole lot at the bottom that I'm very interested in. So let's go ahead and break down. Let's talk about which one of these guys at the top that you probably want to be putting in your lineup. So starting it off, Trace Jackson Davis has the highest salary on DraftKings. Um, Zach Eady actually has the highest on FanDuel. They're pretty much the same. They're both absolutely elite level plays. They're the two best players in uh, DFS college basketball right now. Uh, and Trace Jackson Davis specifically, um, very good job against Michigan the first two times these two teams played. He had 50.8 fantasy points in that last meeting, and that's an outcome that we'd absolutely live with, right? And I actually think that he has a little bit of upside for more. He was only 11 for 23 from the field in that game. He averages 57% from the field, so I definitely think that there could be upside for more from Trace Jackson Davis. Elite level play, just know that you're going to have to you know, save up elsewhere to put him into your lineups. Now, Zach Eady is an interesting case, right? Because I'll be honest, I don't think Illinois has an answer for Zach Eady. They're not going to be able to guard him one-on-one. -on -one. Coleman Hawkins is too light, just not heavy enough. And then Dane Danger is, you know, he's got the weight, but he's not tall enough, not long enough. So, you know, Edie would just bully Coleman Hawkins and he's just going to shoot over Dane Danger. And I just don't think that Illinois is going to be able to contain him one-on-one. -on -one. I just don't see the answer. So what I think the solution will be is Illinois to try to double or try to dig out of the post. And so, you know, that could go one of two ways for Zach Edie. You could end up with a game where he racks up a lot of assists 
or, you know, they stop doubling and it goes back to the ED scoring, or if the guards are missing three-pointers, then they're going to keep doing it and they're going to keep making ED pass out of it, and he's not going to end up with a whole lot of anything. So I kind of would say that this has the potential to be a ceiling game for Edie, but he's going to need a little bit of help from the guards. So like, I actually think pairing Edie with one of the guards like Lawyer or Braden Smith would not be a bad move because if they are going to double Zach Edie, then you know, you're going to double dip if you get a Zach Edie assist to an open three for Lawyer or Smith. Um, but I just don't see Illinois as being a team that's going to try to play him straight up. That's just... Um, from what I've gathered by watching those two teams, that's what I see happening. So I definitely think that Edie presents a little more risk than Trace Jackson Davis, but I think Edie does give you a little bit of a higher ceiling than Trace Jackson Davis because if he does rack up those assists or if he just forces them out of the double team, then you're going to see a ceiling game for Zach Edie. Now, I just want to make a blanket statement here. I like all the bigs in the Nebraska-Iowa game. That's Chris Murray, um, Demarcus Walker, Crap, is his name DeMarcus? No, it's Derek Walker, my bad. And, and Philip Robracha. How did I mess that up? So I like Chris Murray, Derek Walker, and Philip Robracha, right? So Nebraska plays small ball with Derek Walker at the five and Sam Griesel at the four. And Sam Griesel at the four is a very good matchup for Chris Murray. Um, Griesel's just not going to have the size or the wingspan to contain him, and I, I could see Murray scoring a lot of points. Uh, Robracha played very well in the first matchup against Nebraska, had 35 fantasy points in that game. And I like Derek Walker because Iowa is weak at defending the interior. That's a matchup that we've kind of exploited all season long, uh, and I have no problem going back to it um, here on this Sunday slate. Now, I'm not going to lie, though. There is one high-priced big that I'm probably going to pass on, and that's DeAndre Williams of Memphis. So he only had 25.3 fantasy points against Houston the last time these two teams played. This was when Kendrick Davis was out, and his usage rate was through the roof. And I just don't think that the inside is where you attack this Houston team. Uh, they're very stout defensively. They pack everything in, uh, and I just don't see this being a good spot for DeAndre Williams. Now, on the other side of it, the interior is where you want to attack Memphis. And Juwan Roberts did that the first time those two teams played. He had 40 fantasy points in that first matchup against Memphis. Definitely wouldn't mind going back to him. I would play him over DeAndre Williams in a heartbeat. Now, looking down at the 6K range, it is always a risky proposition to bet on Wisconsin's offense, right? Because they just struggle to score at times. But Tyler Wall and Stephen Crowell both have a potential to have big games here against Minnesota. Minnesota's bad, y'all. Like, they're the worst team in the Big Ten. And so this game should turn into a blowout. Wisconsin should be able to score a lot of points. And if they score a lot of points, it's likely to be because of Wall and Crow. So I definitely wouldn't mind going to either of them. Uh, and I don't know. I think you can bypass this range altogether in favor of the more higher-priced guys. But in this 6K range, those would be the two guys that I like the most. Zach Hicks of Temple is also worth mentioning. Uh, he did have 29.5 fantasy points in their first matchup against Tulane. And then Minnesota's Pharrell Payne also worth, uh, merits mentioning. Uh, he's come on strong as of late. He's had over 22 fantasy points in four of his last five. Um, so that 6K range, that's those are the guys that I'd probably be sticking with. Now in the 5K range... Two guys that I like or I'm really intrigued by because of who they are guarding, uh, and that's Dane Danger of Illinois. We know he's going to be going up against Zach Eady. And then Race Thompson of Indiana. We know he's probably going to be the one that's going to be asked to guard Hunter Dickinson. So what you're looking at is this, and this works sometimes. Sometimes it just ends up in the guy getting in foul trouble and it's useless and you regret doing it. But sometimes what you end up with is when you're asked to guard a big man one-on-one, -on -one, you're going to end up with lots of opportunities for blocks, Lots of opportunities for rebounds, and those rebounds can turn right into assists. 
And so I definitely think that if Illinois does happen to leave Dane Danger one-on-one against Zach Eady and he can stay out of foul trouble, then it could be a big night for Zach or for Dane Danger because he's going to get to see a lot of minutes. Uh, same thing goes with Race Thompson for guarding Hunter Dickinson. I don't think that they will guard Hunter Dickinson with Trace Jackson Davis. That's just from everything I have seen. I think they will try to put Jackson Davis on Terrence Williams or Shedder or whoever or Terrace Reed or whoever else is in the game alongside Dickinson. Um, that's just kind of what I've gathered from it. I could be wrong. We'll see. But if either of those two guys are asked to um, take on extended minutes, you could see a ceiling performance out of Dane Danger or Race Thompson. Other guy in the 5K range that I do like is Northwestern's Robbie Barron. Uh, he had 20.5 fantasy points against Rutgers the last time, and they no longer have Mawat Mag, uh, so they are a weaker defensive team, especially at the four spot, which is where Barron operates. In the 4K range, uh, Iowa's Patrick McCaffrey makes for a good game-stacking option. And then Memphis's Chandler Lawson is coming off of his best game of the season. Um, he kind of has these pop games where he just kind of comes out of nowhere. But, you know, one of those games where he was in the middle of nowhere was against Houston. He kind of did nothing in that first meeting. So um, definitely a risky play if you want to go back to Chandler Lawson. And I'll be honest, y'all, I'm not seeing a whole lot of other value plays here on this slate at the big spot. Uh, I really like the fact that Ty Rodgers gets dual eligibility because you can kind of stick him in there um, as another low-priced forward. Um, but it's just, it's really thin. Like, like there's so many good ones at the top, but it's really thin. Like, I mentioned so many of them. I didn't even mention Kevin Cross and Hunter Dickinson, who I would totally be willing to play, right? Um, and just, you know, there's not a whole lot here at the bottom. That's where, like, what kind of what I don't like about how this slate worked out. Now, if you want to see how I put all this information into a lineup or how I constructed it so that I can get to one or maybe two of those high-priced forwards, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. If you liked what you're hearing here on this podcast, well, I do a college basketball podcast pretty much daily for the Daily Fantasy slate every day. If you hit that subscribe button, you'll get notified when new episodes drop. Please rate and review. It really helps me out a lot. We will be dropping an episode for Monday's slate as soon as DraftKings has the pricing out. So hopefully they'll have it out by tomorrow night and I can record. If not, I will have to wake up early Monday morning and get it done. Hopefully we don't end up with another Friday morning situation where they still don't have it out and it just really irritated me. Um, But anyway, um, I will be doing the Daily College Basketball Podcast, so please subscribe so you're notified when new episodes drop. Please rate and review as well. All right, so that does it for the Sunday Slate preview, guys. Um, Best of luck to everybody on this Sunday Slate. Hopefully I gave you guys some information that can help win you some money. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.